Welcome to the Man Up Podcast. I'm Winston Wolf. I solve problems. A spiritual oasis for men. We're not pastors, just regular guys. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. So, for the uncommon man, created by equally uncommon men, this is Man Up. Hello again, everybody. Thank you for joining the Man Up Podcast a spiritual oasis for men. We're not pastors. We're just regular guys on a spiritual journey who every week unpack scripture. And although we're Christians and churchgoers, on this podcast, we don't settle for routine church questions or answers. When we see something difficult or contrarian in scripture, we call it out and hash it out. And we hope what we do inspires you not only just passively read the Bible, but to study, question, engage, and prayerfully meditate regularly upon the Word of God. Now, this is podcast 157, and this week we're starting a study of the book of Daniel, which contains some of the most well-known stories of the Old Testament. Daniel gives us the archangels Gabriel and Michael. And if you've ever heard someone say, I've been cast into the lion's den, or I see the writing on the wall. Those phrases refer to stories from the book of Daniel. With me is our totally awesome panel. We've got our deacon from Louisiana, who's also a top health insurance broker. He's Kyle Trahan. And we've got, we've got our own Michael, Michael Cropper. Now, he's not an archangel, but he does protect the people as a prosecutor. And we have Robert Koshu. He's a trainer for a Fortune 100 company. He's also one of our best youth instructors. And those are just two reasons why we call him the professor. And I'm Steve Titch. I'm a retired public policy analyst. I'm also waiting for to safely return to live poker. I'm filling in for Bill Cox, our regular host and the director of Man Up. Bill is recuperating from surgery, and we hope to have him back soon. In the meantime, we are sending him our prayers and best wishes. Now, before we go into our scripture reading, I think it might help to have a short introduction to the book of Daniel. I want to start with a professor on themes and structure, and then, then feel free to come in, Mike, because you, you, I know you can bring some historical background to this. So, so, Robert, what are we going to look at, not only today, but maybe uh, some of the themes that are going to carry us through this whole uh, study? So, interestingly enough, Um, We always think of Daniel as a prophet. When you look at how the Jewish Bible is put together, which we consider the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible actually lists Daniel in the wisdom literature. There's the law, the prophets, and the writings, and they actually list Daniel in that third category, not the first two. So that that was kind of the first interesting. I saw that, and I was like, that's interesting. Um, But Daniel, as you kind of alluded to, Steve, it is an interesting book because it gives us some of the greatest stories. We're going to find out, you know, the men, the man thrown in, the men throwing in, thrown into the fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den, you know, that the writing on the wall, you know, and and in that sense, Daniel is seriously broken into kind of two big sections. There is the first section of Daniel where we get the story that Mike's going to talk about in the history about how Daniel and his three friends ended up there in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar and talks about them being appointed in the court and being a part of the king's court and rulers and all of that. And then you start getting into the second half of it where Daniel almost mirror some of the things we read later in the book of Revelation. And so you see things, this is apocryphal type writing. So there's a, when, when we get the first part of it's really history and really where it talks about faith under fire. And we'll we'll really talk about that tonight. Um, But then at the end of the book, Daniel kind of goes a little off what a lot of people consider the deep end because it's the apocryphal type writing, so it's all symbols. It's apocalyptic. More. Apocalyptic, yeah, yeah. That, that's the wrong word today. Um, but, it's, but it's the extra piece as they look at it and move it through. 
and so you kind of find out that there's some end time stuff. He doesn't really talk about the Messiah that much, interestingly enough. He kind of this is where the yeah. son of the, the phrase son, son of man appears, right? Yep. That, that Jesus will refer to. For the first time. That that is totally correct. And it's it's written in the midst of you can see Daniel's influence in two other books we've studied. We studied Ezra. And we studied Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a great study for us because we talked about Nehemiah being a project plan, rebuilding the <laughs> wall. And you can see Daniel's influence in both of those books where you see Ezra gets permission to go back and reestablish Jerusalem. And then you get, you know, Nehemiah going back to build the wall. And so you kind of get that. And then there's also maybe some influence from Esther involved in there. So really some kind of intriguing political background stuff going on here as we look through it. And the history of why they get there is even better because you really see some interesting pieces in that. And I'm going to let Mike hit on that. Okay. Uh, folks, we are, uh, Steve and uh, Robert have mentioned too, we're going to start the book of Daniel. Daniel goes right into a, a time when he is being taken into Babylon. So what I want to mention here, a few things about the history, how that comes about. Uh, you may ask yourself, well, first of all, Daniel is written by one of the four Hebrew boys, which are carried into captivity. As you know, when Judah is defeated by the king of Babylon, if any of you have read or heard about Daniel, the other three Hebrew boys. A little history. Uh, so why is Judah being carried away to Babylon? What happened? Why did the God of Israel not protect his chosen people? And if they are his chosen people, why did he allow them to be defeated and captured and scattered into a foreign country? Well, we're going to go specifically to Hezekiah, who is just a phenomenal king. He becomes king of Judah, and he turns Judah back to following God after the previous king, his father, had turned away to do a lot of the things Israel did. Now, after many years as king, Hezekiah becomes ill, and the son of the king, the son of the king of Babylon, sends a gift to Hezekiah because he is ill. And Hezekiah is very pleased with the gift. And by the way, he recovers from that illness. He is very pleased with the gift he receives, and he takes some messengers from the king's son of Babylon, and he shows him all the wealth he has, gold, silver, jewels, spices, and whatever else wealth there was, maybe even took him into the temple or showed him the temple where there was a Solomon's temple was just full, full, full of gold. Well, Isaiah the prophet comes to Hezekiah and he tells him, he tells him, you should not have shown your wealth to these people from the other countries. This is what God has blessed the people of Israel with and you don't show it. He says, one day Babylon will come and take away the many treasures that you have showed them. And this is found in 2 Kings 10, 16 through 18. Also, Isaiah, his own book, says in 39, 5 through 7, what I just told you. Hezekiah dies, and his son Manasseh becomes king. This is 2 Kings 21, 1. And Manasseh leads Judah back into the very sin that caused Israel to be split and be defeated and carried away. He does in a very big way. They commit the same sins that Israel did, including consulting spiritualists, mediums, worship Asherah. They send their children, their daughters and sons through the fires. This is in 2 Kings 21, 2 through 7. Well, God pronounces judgment on Judah this time during Manasseh's reign. And this is in 2 Kings 21, 12. God says, I will bring a great calamity on Judah and Jerusalem, and I will deliver them into their enemies well, the son, of, uh, uh, the son of Manasseh becomes king, and he does evil. He doesn't last long, and he dies. In fact, his servants kill him, kill uh, Ammon. And then the people, the common people, make Josiah king, his son. Josiah is fantastic. Now, there's a reason for all this. I'm telling you all this. You may say, what, what are we coming to? I'll tell you in just a minute. We'll tie it all together. Josiah is fantastic. He turns Judah back to the Lord. He destroys the idols, the altars. He breaks them up. He removes the idols from the temple of God. He even takes many of the uh, pagan priests 
and kills him and destroys him and burns her bone and dashes her bones and, and, and throws them out, scatters them across the country. And he causes the people of Israel to celebrate the Passover once again. And no king before or after Josiah turned his heart back to God as Josiah did. You'll find that in 2 Kings, uh, I don't have the exact verse for it. I want to say 22, 26 or 21, 26. Anyway, God's judgment has already been pronounced over Judah. And he stated very clearly, they practice so many sins and so many abominations that his wrath will be poured out on Judah in spite of the godly leadership by King Josiah. You'll find this in 2 Kings 22, around verse 17. Okay, this, is, this judgment comes to pass. In Josiah's reign, Pharaoh Necho and the king of Babylon decide they're going to meet. Now, we're not told exactly why they're going to meet but we can assume they're going to come against Judah. They meet, and King Josiah leads his army out against them. Pharaoh Necho gets the immediate war with Josiah and his, his army, and he kills Josiah. Uh, now, at this time, Jehoahaz is Josiah's son, and he becomes king. He's made king by the people. He does evil. Uh, even though Nico has come in and taken the land, he allows him to put this king in place, but he does evil. And Nico puts him in prison and makes his brother Eliakim king. This is 2 Kings 23:33. Eliakim, his brother, reigns, and then he dies. And Jehoiachin becomes king for about three months. At this time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes during Jehoiachin's, with an N, during his short reign, and he makes him a vessel, vassal for Babylon. Jehoiachin rebels against Nebuchadnezzar, and this is the setup for today's lesson. Finally, folks, if you follow, Nebuchadnezzar decides to attack Judah, and he comes to Judah and he lays siege against the city, and he captures Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar then takes Jehoiachin, his wives, his mother his gold, his jewels, his commanders, the leaders, the craftsmen, all the metalsmiths, any, anybody of value, he takes back to Babylon. And Daniel 1, today's lesson, will go into greater detail on this whenever we read it in just a few moments. And uh, in fact, I think, let me see, uh, I will stop there and let's go into the first chapter of Daniel. Yeah, real, real quick. You know, if anybody ever complains about the Bible being boring, if you missed all of what Mike was talking about. So basically, Jehoiakim was a vassal of Egypt, meaning, or Babylon, meaning he was supposed to pay tribute to the king. That's correct. Necho convinces him that they should band together to rebel, and he quits paying tribute to the mm -hmm. king. And that's when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and makes the run. So it's one of those... You want backstabbing and all that? Yeah, got it. <laughs> no, th thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, Before you read, Kyle, any thoughts? I mean, any, any thoughts to bridge all this in? Yes, yes. No, no, no I'm, I don't ask Kyle. Yeah, I want to get him up. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting story of, of how this gets started, you know, for you know, again, for me, as I've told you guys plenty of times, I've heard a lot of the uh, the main stories, you know, uh, the lion's den, the, you know, in, in the fire and all this, you know, the majors, but all the back end stuff, you know, even though I've read through the Bible once before, so much of this is still just brand new, you know, because like Robert just said, if you missed it, well, I'll guarantee you I skimmed past some of that because you get into some of the names and, you know, you're, you're trying to skim the names and pick the nuances of the story. And <clears throat> sometimes that, yeah, it just doesn't work. You're, you're supposed to kind of dig into the names and the backstory and, and everything else. So that's where this one's kind of, yeah, kind of an yeah. interesting part of where, where all of Daniel began. So, yeah, and it's one, you know, the Bible is not, written in chronological order there's 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 historical parts of it that are but various the the, the prophets are written at different times we we touched on this whole thing isaiah goes back 
to the, the 700, I, I mean the, the uh, 8th century BC, um, and at the, at the time of the Assyrians and, and shortly thereafterwards. Now you also have uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel who are closer to these, not exactly contemporaries of Daniel, but Jer Jeremiah prophesied about Babylon coming and lived in those yes, times. Is. Ezekiel went with them to Babylon. So Daniel, and Daniel is a story of, of exile. And that's, uh, that's one of the things we'll get to talk about, this whole idea of, of being in exile and taking, you know, having your culture, but within a larger one. And, and this is the first, this very first story, we're going we're to do Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 21, kicks things off, and that conflict immediately begins for Daniel between uh, his, own, his own religion and what he's being asked to assimilate into. Um, so, so go ahead, Kyle, and, and, and read, just the, before, read the section. Yes, go ahead. Hey, Steve, real quick, just before Kyle starts reading, guys, I know you all know this, not only did Isaiah prophesy, but I believe Jeremiah prophesied it, as you said, also the length of time that they're going to be banished to Babylon. You guys, what? how long years. time period was that? Guys? 70 years. He said, 70 years. They'll be 70 years in exile, which is about how it worked That's out great. to be. This, in fact, Daniel yeah. is there. It's pretty much his whole lifetime. I think, I, I, we never find out, do we, Robert, if Daniel actually comes back, but his lifespan would cover... The period, at least when the exiles began, when the when the when the occupation or the, the fall of, of of Jerusalem, to when the first the first Jewish exiles in Babylon began returning, which uh, which our, our dates are uh, 583 BC for the fall of Jerusalem, and it's easy to remember 538 BC is when they started to come back. So um, yeah. By the, we loosely look at the time the the the, Israel, mm -hmm. the, the Judas, the Judah, the people of Judah, the Israelites were there. were about seventy years. So go ahead, Kyle. All right, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else from the peanut gallery? <laughs> All right. Uh, as you guys know, I, I prefer the message, so I'm going to read out of the message right. today. Um, so Daniel one, um, it was the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in. Uh, Judah, when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon declared war on Jerusalem and besieged the city. The master handed King Jehoiakim of Judea over to him, along with some of the furnishings of the temple of God. Nebuchadnezzar took uh, king and furnishings to the country of Babylon, the ancient Shinar. Uh, he put the furnishings in the sacred treasury. The king told Ashpenaz, head of the palace staff, to get some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men who were healthy and handsome, intelligent and well-educated, good prospects for leadership positions in the government, perfect specimens, and indoctrinating them in the Babylonian language and the lore of magic and fortune-telling. The king then ordered that they be served the same menu as the royal table, the best food, the finest wines. After three years of training, uh, they would be given positions in the king's court. Four young men from Judea, Daniel, uh, God, what's that second guy's name? Ananiah. Hananiah, thank you so much. I'm horrible with the names. Forgive me, folks. Even, even uh, translate <laughs> and Isaiah uh, were among those selected. The head of the palace staff gave them Babylonian names. Daniel was named, somebody want to go for this? Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar? Man, see, it's one of the reasons I skip over this when I was a kid. Um, Hananiah uh, was named Shadrach Me Michelle was named uh, Meshach, and Azra was named Abednego. Um, but Daniel determined that he would not defile himself by eating the king's food and drinking his wine. So he asked the head of the palace staff to exempt him from the royal diet. 
the head of the palace staff, by God's grace, liked Daniel, but he warned him, I'm afraid of what my master, the king, will do. He is the one that assigned the diet, and if he sees that you are not as healthy as the rest, he will have my head. But Daniel appealed to the steward who had been assigned uh, by the head of the palace staff to be in charge of Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Meshet, and Uzziah. Try us out for 10 days on a simple diet of vegetables and water. Then compare us to the young men who ate from the royal menu. Make your decision on the basis of what you see. The steward agreed uh, to do it and fed them vegetables and water for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked better and more robust than the others who had been eating the royal menu. So the steward continued to exempt them from the royal menu of food and drink and served them only vegetables. God gave these four men knowledge and skill in both books and life. In addition, Daniel was gifted with understanding all sorts of visions and dreams. At the end of the time that was set, uh, set by the king for their training, the head of the royal staff brought them into uh, Nebuchadnezzar. When the king interviewed him, he found them far superior to the other young men. None were a match for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Uzziah. So they took their place in the king's service. Whenever the king consulted them on anything, on books or on life, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the kingdom put together. Daniel continued in the king's service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, we'll let you guys think about this uh, reading and we'll be right back after this message. You are listening to the Man Up Podcast, spiritual oasis for men. Just like any muscle, we feel the faith muscle must be exercised. And here we do it real authentic, the Man Up way. Not pastors, just regular guys, each on a unique spiritual journey. Thanks for joining us. Deep questions and discussions you won't hear anywhere else, especially in today's climate. Missed an episode? They are archived. Free for you to select on SoundCloud. We come to you from the Man Up Studios at Sugarland Baptist Church, Sugarland, Houston, Texas, in the United States. Have a question or comment, or want to book a speaker or group and have Man Up come to you? Contact us on our Facebook page, Gigmasters, or WMA Cox at Comcast.net. And now, back to fellows of Man Up. We're back. We're discussing Daniel, book Daniel, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 21. As a jumping off point for this study, we're using the Connect 360 study guide from Baptist Way Press titled Faith Under Fire. You can find it on baptistwaypress.org. And a Kindle version can also be found on amazon.com. So uh, what do you think about this? This is uh, things get interesting right away as uh, Daniel, I mean, what's interesting about this, this, this is a different type of occupation. It's not a situation where Daniel and his friends are being told to believe and be put to the sword, or be put to the sword, so to speak. Uh, it's not believe or die or submit or die or bow or die or pray to our gods or die. They're going to they're going to get goodies. They're, they've been, they've been <laughs> handpicked. They're the, they're, it, and, and in this way, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's a bit ahead of his time. He's saying, you know, let's, let's not use, you know, let's not use a stick. Let's use a carrot. Let me take the, the brightest uh, people we've captured, bring them in, um, reward them, yet as we do, as, you know, meld them in even as we, as, as they get to use their talents. And that I think, that I think makes this book very relevant. Um, uh, you know, you look, you look over history, um, you want to take a look at, at, you know, 19th century imperialism, that's what Britain would do. 
find the best people of, you know, of, the, of the area we're occupying and send them to Cambridge and Oxford and send them back with you know, all our way of thinking. Um, uh, that's, you know, that's the way at least some, you know, a lot of other countries did worse. But this idea of, of you know, submit because it's fun. I, I'm going to throw this question out. Did, because we don't know, did Daniel go home and I hope he had the support of his parents and his family, but do you suppose there were neighbors on the street saying, Daniel, you've got it good. You're up there with the king getting the best food. Why the heck are you making waves? Why do you got to be difficult? What, what do you think? <laughs> well, it's, now that's interesting because what you have to think about is it wasn't just Daniel and his three friends, which there's something a little interesting I'll go into in a minute on them. It was captive, other captives from Jerusalem as well as well as captives from other countries that they had brought in because this Steve's right. This was bring them in, but this was maybe the most insidious way of doing it because it's, it's bringing in the noble young rulers. So they grabbed the guys from the ruling class, basically from Jerusalem and the other countries, brought them all in, load them into the palace, put them in a palace dorm room, and then the indoctrination starts. And listen to this. So we all know them. Most people will always refer to Daniel's three friends as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Kyle read their names originally. So Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Azariah. So it took me a while. But listen to this. So the Hebrew names, I'm going to skip Daniel for a moment. The Hebrew names of the other three. So Hananiah. Yah is gracious. Yah is short for Yahweh. Mishael, who is what El is, Elohim. And then Azariah is Yah has helped. So Yahweh. So you get both names of God that were more or less used in the Old Testament, Elohim and Yahweh. And they get changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were Chaldean names. And they're actually related to it. So here we go. So Shadrach comes into command of Aku, the moon god. <laughs> Meshach is a variation of Misaku, is who is as Aku is. And Abednego is slave of the god Nebo or Nabu or slave of the god Negrai. Daniel is El will judge or El's judge. And he gets turned into Baal will judge. So they not only take these guys in and start giving them good stuff. And, okay, so we will all put ourselves in this foot for a moment. You're 15. Think back to your 15-year-old brain. That's scary for a lot of us. <laughs> you get slammed into the nice dorm room on a cat, you, you get you get taken away to summer camp, but it ain't just summer camp. It's summer camp with the five-star resort hotel there. And the five-star resort hotel has the latest video game. It has steak and pork chops and barbecue, fresh fit, whatever you want to eat, it is there. Top of the line stuff. And all you got to do is change your name, adopt this new religion, and not only will you get to keep all this cool stuff, but oh, by the way, you're going to work for the king and make really good money and have a really good living for it. That was really what was laid before these guys. <laughs> you know, you're going to have a guaranteed job. <laughs> all you got to do is lose everything that you've already known and come work for us. Basically. Yeah. I, I don't think it sounds bad. But I think, I think what you had is you, you've got the, the head of the, was it Aspenaz? What's the name of the guy that, uh, that in brought in all these young men went and picked them out. Aspenaz. I don't think he knew what he was getting into. 
what he did is he picked out the royal class family, as you said, Robert and Steve, he picked out the elite of the elite who were trained in the synagogue and who were trained by strict, strict, strict standards. And I'm guessing because of the food they chose to eat, they were Nazarites. They were raised in a Nazarite family and they were Orthodox Jews. And they are committed. I mean, you're not going to find but one out of these in a thousand at the very most in our people. And he, God just had it in his hand like he did Joseph back with the brothers. God had it in his hand that these four guys are going to get picked out and one of them is going to lead them. I, I, think, I think you hit on something that's going to continue through this whole idea. And it is, this is almost a time-honored literary theme. The servant who dominates the master. This, and, 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 yes, and as yes. this goes along, the shoe goes on the other foot. Um, David, David is the, I'm sorry, Daniel, Daniel and his friends, Daniel and his friends are brought in to be trained, to learn, to learn yes. the ways of Babylon. By the yeah. time it's over, <laughs> Babylonians will have learned the ways of Daniel. And, and the that's, the Persians and all the other, the the and, 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 uh, and that's another one of these great aspects of this story about, yeah, I, and I, we don't, and I'm sure the purpose was get the brightest people because, you know, they set the example. And if they set, and, and, and if they set, the, the intention is they set the example by fitting in the Babylonian culture. They're the influencers. They're the Twitter people. You know, we call it, <laughs> yeah. they'll, they'll be, you know, it'll be hashtag, Nebuchadnezzar forever, hashtag great buffet, you know, the pictures will be going out. Oh, great, I want to be, and, but instead, Daniel says, hey, we're going we're gonna to do vegetables instead. Well, it, it's not only that, but it, it's a rejection of their name. And what I find interesting is, so later in the book, we'll see the Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah drop out. And we start hearing them referred to strictly as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is kind of the three names we know. But yeah. Daniel got a new name too, but we don't really read about it much in the book of Daniel. It kind of stays with his name. Um, but, it, but it really is, it's looking at and thinking through, and, and may we talk about this a little bit, how do we resist the culture? Because this is something we've, God, three years now, right? We've been doing this three mm-hmm. years. And how many times have we talked about, you know, how do we resist the culture? And how do we resist the challenges that we as Christians face? And how does it all fit together? Knowing at the end of the day, because you talk about a master plan, here, here's a God who said, follow my commandments. Whoops, you didn't. Okay, you're going away. By the way, you're going 70 years. You know, if you read through Jeremiah, Jeremiah tells the people that are going to Babylon, have families, settle down. You're going to be there a while. <laughs> yeah. But he brings them back, possibly, and when you read through the Ezra narrative at the beginning of it, you can kind of see Daniel's influence in there to let them go back. So he sets it completely up from the beginning. And while he's there, he's going to use Daniel with not only the Babylonians, but then the Medes and the Persians. Let's ask a question. Why would the king want to do this anyway? Why would he want to bring in Daniel and them unless he's heard, I mean, certainly has heard of Moses bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt. Certainly he's heard of some of the other miracles that the God of Israel has protected them many times. Why would he want to go in and bring these Hebrew boys? And and by the way, I have an answer for that, but I'm going to throw out to you guys too, because it's fun to talk about it. Why why does King Nebuchadnezzar want to instill and and indoctrinate and assimilate all these, these Hebrew people into his government? into these high positions and essentially hide their identity. Am am, am I correct? Is that what you guys perceive he's trying Mm -hmm. to do? Well, sort of, but it also, you're taking in a mass amount of, uh, call them refugees, whatever, captives, 
from another land. And if you can show that I've taken these um, top folks from your own place, from Judea, and I brought them here, and I have turned them into Babylonians, you can do the same. So I think in one respect, you know, he, well, Nebuchadnezzar obviously had a long vision look at a lot of things because he said, I'm going to do this in a three-year span to teach these guys what I want them to know. Then they're going to come before me. Then I'm going to set them out in front of the government, in front of your own people as well. And they're going to know them. They're going to know them by Daniel. All right. It's only been three years. He, he went from 15 or whatever to 18, you know, but now he's a young, prominent government official. And I think Nebuchadnezzar was going to try and use that to his own scheme of assimilating the people that he's captured. Well, it's, it's political, right? Clearly. Oh, hugely. If, if you have a group of people following you, it's then control. you can point to the whole culture and say, look, these are your leaders. They're following me. Yep. So you need to get behind me, too. You yep. need to get behind all of us, too. It's all in it's, control. Yeah. Yeah, it, well, it's political, and it's also just trying to, you know, he, he, he literally was trying to put an entire civilization under his control he exactly. he was really the he was the babylon is modern day iraq and at the time it controlled from what we think of as iraq all the way down through the levant syria lebanon israel down to egypt and then across over to the over to greece mm -hmm. i mean it was a huge empire and i think he was one of the first to realize to rule this empire i'm gonna have to I got to get these people on my page, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not going to try to do what the Romans did later, which was basically run troops everywhere. You know, I'm going to put them, I, I'm going to get them all on my page. And so, like you said, Steve, he grabs the influencers, the people that would be recognized in the, uh, would be recognized in within the people. And he, they're the people we're going to indoctrinate. And, and I think that's really the word I like using there is indoctrinate because it's an indoctrination. It's, it's eat the good food. It's, you know, hang out, change your name. No big deal. <laughs> you know, Steve look at what we're going to give you. Yeah. Steve asked a great question. He says, so how do we stand up against and right, Steve, whenever society puts this type of influence on us. Yeah, and, and I, I call it, I call, oh, go ahead, I call it soft pressure or, or essentially where, where you are, you know, we've talked about ethical di dilemmas in the past. Sure. And this sure. is a little different. This is when, and, and I, I, I'll, we, we, there are plenty of examples, when, when, you, when, when, when the rewards of being, uh, you know, of, of, of conforming to the culture, right, and cultural values. There are they, there are they, the, there are actual real rewards, professional, economic, social. That that you won't get if you hold true to Christian values. You may be part of a group. You may you know, and 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 I'm and then I'm not going to give you the the church answer. Well, you'll be closer to God. No, if. If I behave, if, if I decide a certain way, I'm not going to get that job. Or I'm not going to, you know, I might, if, if I, if, if I, I'm, I'll give you, I'll give you the blunt new normal. It, today in our culture, it's the expectation that adults will have sex outside of marriage. If you're, and, I'm, and let's, let's leave the teens aside and, and, and youth education, let's talk about 20 and 30 year olds, the expectation, if you're dating, if you're a couple, you're going to be having sex because that's, that's what's, what people do. And if you, if, if you want to draw a line there, you're going to have problems in the singles culture. You're, you're, if, and I'm, man or woman, in most cases, you will probably lose the relationship eventually. Uh, because 
you because the other the other person will expect sex and that that's the expectation like so so there are there's a price to be paid for that that is not necessarily uh, you know fully happiness uh, a a uh, another example is more maybe maybe more that 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 you can relate to is that uh, conflict escalation is rewarded over conflict resolution. I'm going to sue you, and I'm going to get a great attorney. <laughs> I'm going to get. I'm going to find because, one because I got a deal, and the other guy's got cropper. I've got to get somebody better, and that's going right. to be hard. That's right, right, right. Absolutely. And, and, and but, but likewise, but but yeah, yeah con or or you know revenge or or anything. You know, there's got to be a winner and a loser. And if you're a winner, you get, you know, salutations and, and, and material and economic and social rewards, and you don't want to be the loser. But really what we want to be in, as Christians as, is working conflict resolution. Um, uh, and, and, you know, go for the win-win or go for the compromise or go. And so, but so those are my, those are where I'm coming from. Not, not like, you know, are you tempted to steal money? Are you tempted to cheat on your income taxes? You, in this culture, I mean, this is what Daniel's dealing with. By assimilating, he will get greater benefits socially, economically, uh, professionally, if you want, than not. Yet he chooses not to. Um, and that, I think, is really hard and I think in many in many Christian circles it's rationalized, and 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 this is where this is so because it's a lot easier to say oh I'll never cheat on my taxes or I'll never lie or something like that because that that's an expectation. There are laws and rules, but there are expectations in our culture that run against Christian expectations, and that can be costly. And that that's that's where I that's where I see what's different from here than what we've talked about in the past, like with the Ten Commandments and 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 uh, and and Paul ethics and things like Pauline ethics and things like that. This I think is an issue of what do I do when the culture rewards me and everybody else thinks it's okay. I, I think a lot of our convictions, what you're talking to us about, Steve, are set when we decide to follow the Lord, what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And a lot of that's influenced by our parents, by the church we attend. Uh, you guys have shared with us. I know, Steve, you have shared with us. There's a point at which you decided you were going to really find out uh, and serve the Lord with all your heart. You had known about him all your life. And Kyle, you decided the same thing. I decided that on one day's notice, I just changed what I was doing. And I think a lot of those influences or those, those ethics, those morals, those things are set when we make that decision. And then we watch the people around us to help us decide. So can you say, can I say absolutely that I have not been influenced by society to do things I shouldn't do? No, I can't say that. But my goal is always there to try to do that. In other words, uh, uh, we know that Jesus told uh, one his his disciples that divorce is not a good thing. In fact, he says if you're committing divorce and your spouse has not cheated on you, he says that is adultery. Okay, and then if you follow, and I think the next uh, next verse he says these things not everybody can do, but it's a goal that we should strive to do. So when we when we make decisions where we go each day, what we do, what we say, everything I think has to do a lot with, with our training, our morals, and, and what we've decided to do, our influence, and who we're going to be influenced by our decisions. Paul says, I will not eat meat if it's going to hurt or offend my brother. There's a strong character. He said specifically that he absolutely will not do it. I don't know that I might grab a drumstick from churches or or or, or a Kentucky Fried Chicken if, in fact, I got really hungry enough to do that. Uh, and and a friend of mine was. Hey, what happened so, to Pot Pies? It's <laughs> <laughs> a Louisiana yeah, but, me. I'm sorry. So I'm I'm not really answering your question, Steve. You say how do you deal with that? I guess you just ask your brother. One of the things I always encourage mm -hmm. to do is is call your brothers, call your friends, Christians. 
how did you deal with this? If you've got an area in your life that's affecting you when, and you don't believe it honors God and is not the best or, or, or presents an appearance, doesn't make you look good as a Christian or doesn't make your Christian motives or ideas come forth. And that's simply to, I mean, I have a set of rules that I follow. There's certain things I absolutely will not do because I'm a Christian. That there are some areas that are gray, like you said, Steve, that, that I can be influenced in society. And I have, to, I have to constantly deal with those and with whom I'm with and where I am. So I don't have an exact answer. <laughs> I know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think well, there is one. I think people are aware of the question is really, really. Yeah, it, well, and, and that's the thing is there's not a, it becomes a hard, it becomes a hard fast, but there's Daniel and his friends chose not to eat and drink of the food. We assume, well, we know fairly well that they followed Yahweh in all the other things they did, you know, as far as their worship and all that, they didn't worship at the, at the Babylonian gods. We'll read about consequences of that later, but did they adopt some of the Babylonian culture? Yeah. And Robert, what you Probably. just said is phenomenal. Do you remember what he said? Daniel says, if after 10 days, we're not visibly better than the others, right. then we will do what you say. He's pretty much saying that. So he's saying, if, in fact, what I'm suggesting doesn't work, we may submit to your culture and direction, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mike, that's, that, is, that is another key point in this and what we can take away, how to deal in this situation. Yeah. Um, and now, while, while David doesn't, oh, I keep calling it David, well, well Daniel does not, <laughs> does not compromise, he negotiates still. That's right. And and he doesn't right. he doesn't get up in and, and this is in our time of protest and running out, you know, look what we have here. We have a guy who, who is going to make his 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 statement. He's not gonna get up in the in the chief's face. He's not gonna overturn the banquet tables. He's he's and and and, and he actually doesn't the, the the, 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 the chief of staff in the, in the, in the NID, it's the eunuch, he says, I, I, it's, the, it's only my job, Daniel. You know, yeah. I, I got to give you the food. You know, my, my, I don't, the boss is going to take it out on me. And so Daniel doesn't say, you know, sucks to be you. Um, he says, all right, I'll, 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 let's make this agreement. And, um, and I think there's a great example there. I, and I was, um, I, it reminded me of something Robert Heinlein, the science fiction writer, once wrote. Um, it's, it's, uh, I'm looking for the quote here. Um, it's better, it may, yeah, we, have, we have this idea, you know, this dichotomy that we're either gonna, we're gonna go down like a, you know, go down like a hero or live like a, an obsequious uh, weakling. So, so Robert Heinlein writes, it may be better to be a live jackal than a dead lion, but it is better still to be a live lion and usually easier. And um, Daniel emerges as the live lion. He, yeah. he doesn't, he, he, he holds true to his standards, he holds true to his, his conscience and his beliefs and his practices, but he doesn't, he doesn't do it obnoxiously. He makes you like him. You know? He says, all right, look, I, I'm, I feel strong enough about my convictions that I'll put them up against this. And, you know, you make the, you make the call. It's, and it's, it's really a good example. And maybe that's why, I mean, we, we, look, he becomes the leader for, for his group of friends there, too. It's, it's an it's a amazing bit of leadership. And I think, and 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 we look around, and we look at kind of the rather, you know, the, the pro. Some, you know, not every problem. We have protests, um, and some have certainly devolved into rioting. And sadly, a handful of you know of, of pundits have said, "Well, this is this is you know this is the anger expressing itself." It really isn't. We we see how to express principle and protest right here. Uh, and, and it's done very well. Yeah, and you made the comment. 
he's negotiating. The way I look at that, and that's exactly right. What he's doing is he's pulling the ultimate result into God's hands. He's stepping back and saying, okay, God, you got 10 days. Let's see if what you've commanded us to eat and what you've commanded us to do, you'll honor that. I, I don't even, I, does he ask? I think he basically assumes it. <laughs> he takes it, he, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't, he, he has no doubt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I believe that, I believe that. It just sounds like that. But, you know, it's, he it's, got- It's his whole yeah. cards in poker. <laughs> he's got, he's holding two aces under there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, he definitely knew from the, you know, the onset, you know, but he, he got shut down from the, the leader of the house and he was persistent enough to ask again to somebody else, you know. And That's got right. Yeah. yeah. One one more question I'll throw out because this is from from the uh, the book uh, from the guidebook. Uh, and it also plays into a lot of what's happening here. We talked about this, you know, you, you almost hinted at it there, Robert, when you said, is, or is, is there, is he adopting any bits of Babylonian culture? The question, I'm looking at, I'm looking at page 21, question five at the bottom. Being godly in the world is not necessarily opposed to being useful in the world. Does this challenge you or encourage you? Um, and I think of, of some of the monastic movement that's been talked about in the last few years about um, Christians should just withdraw, should just, you know, it's such a mess out there. Look, last week, reality is well, so broken. That wasn't just, just a monastic movement. There was a huge evangelical movement in the 80s, and you saw, <laughs> that's where you saw a lot of Christian schools and mm -hmm. Christian colleges, and, and you know, and then you'd be set up, you only did business with Christian businesses, and you saw your churches build their health clubs and their coffee shops and their restaurants. And it was expected that you would pull out completely, that you would, you know, go to, go to a Christian school. Then you'd go to a Christian college. Then you'd go to work for a Christian company and you'd be around Christians all day. And, you know, that we would quote unquote, changed the world because we sequestered ourselves. <laughs> yeah. so, so there we are now. Does, Robert, does that work? And is that biblical no. and is it Christian? No, <laughs> matter of fact, I, I, you, you guys heard me a couple of weeks ago argue about wrapping Christianity around the American flag. And I would say this was just a huge extension of that, you know, and, and it was, failed from the beginning and when you think about it think about it did they have some value in some of the things that we're talking about yeah they did the moral majority group pat robertson's group yeah. those group they they had some good ideas but it was the whole it was we'll, the whole, we'll talk about that another day <laughs> yeah well, th there were some things they had they were moral majority was right about some things you know but but here's what's funny clocks are right too broken <laughs> twice a day you know, and the same kind of thing happens there, you know, it, it, but it, it's one of those, you know, we've got to find a way. I think Daniel and them found a way to live in the world mm -hmm. that they had been thrust into mm -hmm. while still maintaining their, their, their faith and their Jewish identity. And I think the question is, how do we really do that? And I think that, I think that's really, I think that's the challenge we're all faced with in, Especially because we talked about this being insidi insidious. How insidious is it in today's culture? You know, for these things. It, it's very, 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 you know, it's normal. If you are getting up Sunday morning, drive into church, we're all going to be doing that again soon. <laughs> if you are getting up, well, I, I won't be for a while. I'm, I'm far enough out and I'm actually... I teach on Sundays and I am concerned about getting here and getting back home and getting my lessons set up to teach on zoom because we're still doing Sunday school on zoom. So once Sunday school is back live, it's probably when we'll come back. You know, the uh, church has Wi-Fi. Yeah. I don't trust that much Wi-Fi. <laughs> I even have a hard cable here at my house, bud. <laughs> I, I've, I've done the Wi-Fi thing on video conferences too many times in my life. Um, 
but it but if you get up on a Sunday morning early and drive to church and spend three hours on Sunday and then do a podcast like we do on Wednesday night in today's society, you are weird and you are strange and you stick out like a sore thumb. It is not anymore. It used to be in Waco. The joke was in Waco. If you didn't go to church, you got up and put on your church clothes before you went out for lunch. So everybody would think you went to church. Yeah, and and we are nowhere near. Kyle's laughing. We are nowhere near that anymore. And this is Texas. Yeah. Let alone, yes. let alone New York, uh, Chicago, LA. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you might say the the the, the, the less the, the less the the, the areas of, the areas that are less associated with with churching. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And 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 there's still. Go ahead. Other thoughts on Kyle or, 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 or Mike, anything to, to chime in to, to wrap up? You know, uh, in, in our lesson under that implications and actions, they always have a little section at the end. Uh, just that the very first couple of words, people of resolve aren't born. And that's so true, you know, in, in this lesson, you know, when you look at, at the man that Daniel was at such a young age, you know, it is never too young to man up, but it's also never too old. You know, that, that opportunity, the, the phrase that, that we use for ourselves here of man up, it's almost a daily occurrence that you have an opportunity to do that, you know, today may not have that much in it. Maybe you're playing in the yard and whatever, but maybe that's manning up for your family. You know, um, in this circumstance, he, he definitely took it to an extreme and put his faith in God and said, I feel led to be this way. This is the man that you've made me for these last 15, whatever years. And I'm going to stand by that conviction. And he got what, uh, what he needed done. You know, he, he found a way to make it happen with a, a logical thought process. Give me 10 days. Give me a trial period. And if you don't like it from there, you know, then we're done. And I, I think that just took a lot of guts. And we as men need to remember to do that often. Mike, anything? Yeah, real quick. I, I as I mentioned earlier on, if, if folks, uh, I thought he was part of, possibly part of a uh, the Orthodox Jewish bring, bringing or or Nazarite. If you don't know what that is, folks, a Nazarite is a person who commits himself to serve the Lord, and they eat, they drink water, and they drink very very uh, specific foods. They eat very specific foods. Uh, they don't eat pork. They don't eat. Food, uh, meat from hooved animals, and and I I I think a lot of, as I think about my own self. I think about my upbringing, and and I bet his parents had a lot to do with his training. Uh, right now, my dad always read articles in medical books as I was being brought up, and he says exercise is the key to the fountain of youth. If you're ever going to live long, and you, your family has a history of not living long, and by the way, the men in my family do. I started exercising or running or jogging when I was 19 years old because the the men in my family have a tendency to have heart attacks and die when they're 71 to 73 years old. And I take after those particular men and my my parents, my form and everything. So uh, that stuck in my mind and both of my parents exercised. So I didn't think otherwise. It never occurred to me to do it any other way. And, And I'll bet Daniel's parents spoke to him specifically and said, these are the foods you need to eat. This is from the Old Testament. This is what's good for you. And uh, and this is what's kosher. And I'll bet they maybe even never thought of it. Daniel never thought of it to do any other way because it, it says very specifically, I think he said, Kyle, he resolved to eat this particular manner in which he presented to his uh, his captors. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, sure. You know, your, your parents were ahead of their time. I mean, you know, that's, 
exercise is probably the best thing you can do to stay healthy. Uh, yeah. And obviously, you know, and you're, I know that you're 150 years old, but you only don't look a day over stuff or over 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> there you are. You've been, you've been holding out on us. Thank you. Robert, um, you've, got, you've got something. Uh, you've got to want to close. You've got a verse for us. I have a verse, and it really, it's a New Testament verse that really goes along with this. And it's Romans 12, too. Do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and the perfect will of God. And it's really that, that first page is don't be conformed to this age or the, the one of the, I think the NIV refers to it as do not be transformed to the world. And, 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 and that is really what Daniel and his friends were called to do and what they did here. And well, that's going to wrap it up. A, a reminder, you can certainly uh, send us a note or comment on our Facebook page, and that's Man Up Spiritual Oasis. You can find us at manupspiritualoasis.com. Our whole uh, archive of some 156 uh, other podcasts can be found on SoundCloud. Uh, many are also with uh, Apple Podcasts, and you can find us there or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, for my great panel, this is Steve Titch, and this has been Man Up. See you next time. Later. You've been listening to Man Up. You You can't handle the truth. Dedicated to the uncommon man, created by equally uncommon men. If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flame through to this place. You can contact us on Facebook under Man-Up. Post questions, and we'll answer them right here on the Man Up Podcast.